This is Sports Jam. I'm Doug Doyle, and my guest is a sports media icon. He's been characterized as one of the most successful and respected sports executives in the world, and has proven time and time again that his vision, expertise, and innovative spirit has built successful businesses in the sports and entertainment worlds. He's currently the general manager of the Marquee Sports Network in Chicago. Michael McCarthy joins us on Sports Jam. Mike, great to have you on the show. Well, Doug, thanks for having me. You, that, that introduction was too kind, uh, but much appreciated. Oh, uh, no. People who have followed your career know what a great resume you have and what a pleasure it is to have you on the show. Mike was president of New York's MSG Network for a long time, vice chairman and chief executive of the NHL St. Louis Blues, and chief operating officer of the NBA's Milwaukee Bucks. He's covered almost all the bases when it comes to sports, and his connections right here in New York are vast. We'll get to that a little bit later in the show. But you are in charge of the Marquee Sports Network, the home of the Chicago Cubs, launched in late February of 2020, right before COVID-19's pandemic. I can't imagine what you were thinking when this all took place, but can you take us back to that moment and what you were thinking about with this sports network? Well, I think I've told people that have asked you, you, you wouldn't draw it up this way, right? To launch a, a sports network in the middle of a pandemic. I think the first thing we were concerned about, as all of us were, was safety and, and health and to make sure all of our folks were okay. And, uh, you know, it was a little stranger for us because we had just put the thing together and really, in a lot of cases, just got to know some of our employees when this hit. So we launched into a uh, producing games and talk shows and panel discussions from remote, which is sort of what you and I are doing right now. But it was uh, it was very new to everybody, uh, you know, 15 months or so back. So it was a big adjustment. Uh, we, as I said, we kept the priority of are people safe and can we try this without putting anybody at risk? And some of the shows we did were better than others, but we were really proud first and foremost of getting through it without anybody uh, getting sick, which was terrific. And we ended up doing that crazy 60 game season, uh, via remote. And, uh, you know, we're, we're proud of what we did and we're proud of how it's gotten started. And, uh, Cub fan base is crazy passionate, as you probably know, and not unlike the New York team fan bases. So we're, uh, we're having a lot of fun here in Chicago. We are the Northsiders. And the blues run through each and every one of us. We hold them in our hearts. Wear them on our sleeves. They're woven into our pinstripes. Embedded in the ground we walk on. Built into our bricks. Written into our city streets. Our lineage is one of great bluesmen. Ronnie and Rhino. Mad Dog and Mr. Cub. The Hawk, Hack, Harry. And generations of faithful who simply never stopped. Believe it. Wrigley is our stage. But you don't need a ticket to hear the melody. It carries down Addison, rides the red line and beyond. Because like any great band, we take our show on the road. You began consulting for this network back in 2018 and then were named GM in 2019. So you were a part of this from the very beginning. 
So why did you feel it was the time to make the move from, you know, regular broadcasting of NBC Sports Chicago, WGN Sports, WLS TV? You obviously had been studying this and knew that it was the time to make the move. Can you go back to that point? Well, I, I have to give the Cubs uh, and Sinclair all the credit for being, you know, having the intestinal fortitude to think that this was going to be a viable venture, which it's turned out to be. Uh, but you have to have, you know, some uh, comfort, comfort with risk, which which both of them did. You know, this this team and its fan base had to reinvent itself and go out and make its new distribution deals with partners. You know, the Cubs for a long time, as as we know, even in New York, were on WGN and they were on, they had superstation status. They were carried across the country and kind of everybody's second favorite team, no matter where they were, right? It was to watch Harry Carey and the Cubs in the afternoon and then your New York Mets or Yankee game at night. At least that was my routine. And uh, so we had a lot of devotion in the fan base to bank on. We were confident. You never really know until you launch it. And, and certainly, you know, Cub fans found us, which we were hopeful of and uh, haven't looked back. So it's been fun. The Cubs, as everybody knows, they were at once lovable losers. But in 2016, everything changed for the Chicago fans. Cub base, the World Series win. Right now, does it matter if the Cubs win or lose when it comes to the Marquee Sports Network? Obviously, when it's winning, it's going to be better. Clubs hovering right around. 500 right now in second place as we speak. Does it really matter? You know, I, I would say it's, it's a little bit cliche, but this might be one of those crazy dynamics where a fan base is a lot less concerned about the winning and the losing. Do they want to win? Of, of course they do. Uh, and, and all of us around it, like Marquis, wants it to want them to win. But this fan base comes and they stick no matter what. And it's almost like a badge of courage if they're fighting through, you know, adversity on the field, which they've done for decades. So uh, Wrigley Field is a special place. We, we treat it like it's Augusta at the Masters. And the Cubs and what they mean to the, the uh, fans of Chicago, I'm not going to say it's completely bulletproof of on-field success, but it almost is because – it's, it's part of the fabric here in Chicago. And I've been, as you mentioned, you were kind enough to mention a lot of different markets. And there's a lot more volatility in those other markets. The team does have to, for to a certain extent, you know, be relevant in terms of its competitive uh, on field or on ice or on court, to, uh, uh, you know, uh, performance. Cubs, I have to say, a little bit less so because the, the storylines are just as interesting as whether they win or lose in Chicago, and that's been the case for, you know, 90-plus years. For Mike McCarthy, you have this unbelievable ability not only to see the vision, but you also have great ears, and those started back when you were listening to radio and you were listening to – was that? Uh, your ears when you were listening. That was a joke. I'm sorry. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> you got me on that one. I'm sorry. Mike. I wasn't quick enough to get on that one. You know, with these Zooms, you never know when you're you cutting out. Know. So never my know. fault there. But <laughs> when you were listening to, you know, one of our, our sister public radio stations and uh, the great George Badarki is a great friend of mine at WFUV right now. And yeah. uh, you were listening to some of these guys who turned out to be some of the most famous play-by-play -play announcers in, in New York sports. You had Mike Breen, your good buddy, who you were just up for the Hall of Fame induction that you told me before we started. 
You also had Michael Kay on the Yes uh, Network, of course, has his own show. Bob Papa, the Giants. You knew early on, you knew they had some sort of magic. What is it about you? And now you have John Shambi as your voice of the Cubs. What do you know about, what do you, what do you feel when you listen to these guys that you knew they were going to be successful? And if you were in charge, they were going to get these gigs. I can't take uh, any of the credit, but I've been very lucky to be around people at young phases of their uh, career. And, and sometimes you just have a sense uh, that it might work. Um, you know, we have, we've really proud of Breen and Kay, of course, and Papa. Gus Johnson was another one who took an opportunity and went, you know, crazy north with it. Um, and, and, and I have to be honest, too, like there's something very special about the New York market where you, you can't do anything quietly there. You know, if you put a guy on a Nick game, holy mackerel, you're, you're going to get attention one way or another. And if you don't have a thick skin, you're going to have to grow one pretty quick uh, because of all the scrutiny, you know, and there's this three or four columnists dedicated to just media critiques in New York. And that's not the case anywhere else, believe me. And now I've been in a lot of these markets. Um, so you, you have to get you have to get lucky. Uh, we we didn't hit every time, but we did really well with a lot of those young folks who have gone on to great things. And we're we're really proud of that. And I'm proud of them. And it's been fun. The media landscape right now has changed so dramatically. You've been through the whole process. How much more difficult is your job now? Or is it not as difficult as it was when you took over at Madison Square Garden Network? I think uh, I think it's a, it's quite a bit different for a few reasons, not the least of which would be social media and the amount of, uh, let's say, response that you get. Uh, the, the volume of it is remarkable and the immediacy of it is remarkable. If somebody makes a comment on one of our shows, we, we can tell whether it went over or not within seconds, which is good and bad, but it's certainly different. Um, I remember one... Uh, one time quite a bit uh, of years ago when Mike Breen and, and Walt Frazier were working together for one of their first times. And uh, uh, a ball bounced into the crowd and hit a woman up in the facial area, loose ball. And Mike Breen said something along the lines of, Anna, loose ball has gone into the crowd and Clyde, it, it appears to have struck in her in the face and she appears shaken up. And Clyde said, yeah, well, she was probably running her mouth like most women do. And I was like, oh, my God, here we go. And I just stared at the phone, knowing I was going to get whacked and no, and understanding that deservedly so, you know, because how could, how could I let this happen? And the phone didn't ring. It never rang. 20 minutes later, I said, maybe nobody heard this. Is this possible? And this was like 1987. And then the next morning, Phil Mushnick wrote, in the post about it. As soon as I read that, I said, oh, here we go. And he <laughs> said, he said uh, last night during the Knicks-Pacers game, I heard I heard Walt Frazier say one of the most offensive, uneducated things I've ever heard in all my years of critiquing the media. And I would be writing that this morning to you, my loyal readers, if I wasn't laughing so hard. <laughs> so, so I got through it, but I, that's the kind of thing that in today's day and age, Forget about it. It's a whole different world. Uh, the reaction would be completely different. Um, so that's one thing. Me social media. The other, the other, you know, couple of pieces. Not to get too long-winded. Would be, you know, 
there's a lot of ambiguity about where the future is for media. How will fans be consuming baseball games five years from now? I think anybody that tells you they know exactly how that's going to work is not telling you the truth. You couldn't know. It's just too unknown. But you have the cord cutting. You have people finding ways of accessing information that didn't exist several years back. So it's very different. It's very uh, cool. I think a lot of us feel like in the sports world, like yourself, I mean, we, we, we're kind of immune to cord cutting. We find that people still want to watch ball games live. They're not happy to DVR them and watch them the next day. And, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely uh, different, but I, I think there's more change to come. And of course, the, the last one and the biggest one, at least for now, for us here in Chicago, would be the gambling component. Uh, just so prevalent on all forms of sports media, including ours. Uh, and by the way, here in Chicago, much like New Jersey, it's completely legal to bet on a sporting event on your phone. And people do it uh, quite a bit. And they watch us with questions about their bets as many as much as they watch to see, you know, who's winning and losing. So it's interesting. And uh, technology hasn't quite caught up with the interest that people have uh, in it yet, but it will. So I think those are three major shifts, social media, uh, you know, the, the, the idea of, uh, where the carriage components will be in a few years now and, and gambling. So you kind of knew that already before you launched the marquee sports network, that gambling was going to be probably a big part of, uh, the whole story here. Did, did you feel like you had to get you know, situated with that, that you knew exactly where you wanted to go. It's kind of ever changing. And, and it's, so how tough was that for you to, to get on top of that? You know, I, I feel like we're on top of it for the time being, but you said it perfectly right. It's, it is changing ever. And we, uh, we currently have a sequence in our pregame shows where we talk about some of the more interesting prop bets that are available to fans. We, we don't try to go overboard with it, without using any specific examples, you could listen to sports talk radio and hear nothing but gambling for 20 minutes at a clip. We don't, we don't do that. Um, we do have the benefit of partnering with some of the larger companies that are in that space as sponsors. Um, so, and we also have, you know, we're co-owned by the Cubs and Sinclair broadcasting and the Cubs announced maybe, maybe a year or so ago that they were going to open up, a gaming window, a casino in, in Wrigleyville, like within the stadium confines, friendly confines, they're called out here, by the way. And uh, so that we, I knew that they were going to be, uh, you know, very aggressive about it, which we too at Marquee are. Not only are you able to pick out, you know, wonderful play-by-play -play people, but uh, your most recent choice for your play-by-play, -play, John Shelby, is one of the most beautiful voices uh, that there is in sports um, and kind of the everyday guy that people associate with. I'm sure that came into play with him being the voice of the Cubs. Yeah, we were, we were uh, really blessed that he had an interest in it. Um, you know, if I were to tell you the, the folks that showed an interest in this, I, I think you, your eyebrows would raise a little bit, but it's one of those jobs. It's one of those iconic Cubs play-by-play. -play, you know, they build statues for those guys here. They really do. And, uh, so we, you know, a lot of people said to me, well, you know, uh, myself and Mike Santini, who runs production and programming, you guys should be looking for a Boog Shambi type, you know, per, you know, regular guy, great pipes, 
real student of baseball, but somebody that Chicagoans can relate to, uh, you know, like a, t- a Boog Shambi type fellow. So we did, we did better than that. We, we, we actually got him, which was crazy. And he's gone over extremely well, which is no surprise. As you said, great pipes, but he, he has a funny knack of dealing with the heavy analytical world that baseball is now in without batting you over the head with it, like a school marm. You know, he, you end up learning a little bit about some of these crazy characteristics and analytical categories without feeling like you missed class, you know? And yet he's one of the great storytellers and he just flat out loves baseball. When I see him alone in Wrigley walking around taking selfies of himself uh, with the stadium behind him and he's, it's legit with him. I mean, it's very, very legit, which is cool. Welcome in, everybody. John Chambi alongside Jim Deshays, our first broadcast here on Marquee Sports Network. Cubs Royals here today. All right, so uh, what are you looking for? Green grass, blue skies, beautiful weather, new partner. Welcome, yeah. Boo. Great to have you alongside. Excited to get rolling, man. I'm excited as well. You're listening to Sports Jam. I'm Doug Doyle, and my guest is the GM of the Marquee Sports Network in Chicago, former MSG Network's president, Michael McCarthy. One of my favorite reporters is someone you've worked with for many years, Doris Burke. My dad loved Doris Burke. She gained his respect right away with all of her knowledge. And now you have Beth Moens on the Marquee Sports Network. She made her transition from doing NFL play-by-play to now doing Cubs broadcasts at times on the Marquee Sports Network. Swing and a miss. Two down and a couple of Ks for Williams. And right back up the middle and over the reach of Frazier. And Bryant stays hot. You understand, it seems like, the landscape of equal opportunity and, and the necessity of having women in the broadcast booth. Well, yeah, we, we value it very strongly. Really proud to have the role in Doris's career. Uh, another Hall of Famer, by the way, and well-deserved. Uh, you know, thing, the things that Doris and Beth and, and others have in common, uh, Tracy Wolfson is another that we started with at the Garden, uh, there, there's a legitimate credibility. You know, they work, they work uh, hard at it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways to get noticed in television. And if you have uh, sustainability, to me, it, it would come from having a credibility within the sports that you're, you're talking about and reporting on. And they all have different versions of that. And we've, uh, you know, we, we've, we've, it's, it's sad that it's taken this long for certain things to happen like here in Chicago with Beth, but it's great that it's happening. And, uh, you know, what I love about working uh, with Beth and, and Doris and others is, uh, you know, they, they don't have a uh, sort of a shy, thanks for thinking of me approach. They, their, their whole, their whole body language presentation is I, I, I should be here. I deserve this. And let's talk about the game right away. And, and that's how it should be. And that's what I love about it. And I think, you know, to be honest with you, I've also watched my my daughter get inspired by some of these roles that you don't expect women to be in, uh, and it's it, it makes it very special for me too. So I um, I think the whole package really works. But it's, it it starts and goes no further if the individuals aren't ready and capable. And in Beth's case, in Doris's case, 
Tracy Wolfson, uh, in, our, in our marquee form, then we have Taylor McGregor and Lisa Menneker, and they're all outstanding, and they all do themselves proud, and that, that's what makes it work. What did your daughter first say to you when you told her you were going to be running the Marquee Sports Network? Uh, oh, she was excited. She knows this is where my uh, passion is to, to try to put a great sports t- uh, broadcast team together and, uh, and to launch a network. She was excited for it. And, uh, you know, there, there's, it's sort of like a baseball manager job in that there's not very many of them. There's, there's only a few of these gigs. So she was pumped up about it. And uh, she's, uh, she's a big sports fan. So she, she, she enjoys the connections. While we're talking about your family, I want to talk about your late dad, Johnny, who uh, some people might know was the Mets head groundskeeper at the Polo Grounds and Shea Stadium for more than three decades. You're one of five that grew up around the ballpark in your family, uh, the McCarthys, and you spent some time on a ground crew in the 70s, but you ran cross country at Holy Cross High School in Flushing. I want you to tell us the French horn story because that has to be a classic. <laughs> yeah, well, if you saw me now, you wouldn't have me as a cross-country runner, but we'll, we'll, we'll table that for another day. But yeah, <laughs> in the seven, late 70s, I'm a high school kid in Queens, and I'm on the ground crew for my, working for my dad and my uncle at Shea, and I'm a very thin gentleman, and I'm running around the ballpark, the outfield track at 2 o'clock in the afternoon every day prior to a night game, just as a sort of fitness whatever you want to call it, regiment. And Eddie Cranepool comes and grabs me. Uh, Met fans of a certain age will certainly remember Ed Cranepool. And he asked me, hey, do you, uh, do you run every day? And I said, uh, yeah, I mean, I try to run every day. Yeah, do you smoke? I said, no, I, I don't smoke. He said, do you smoke anything? I said, no, I, I don't smoke anything. He said, all right, well, come in the clubhouse. So he takes me in the clubhouse. And, you know, these are my heroes. I'm whatever I am, 18. And the room is full of, you know, at that time, you know, Lee Mazzilli and Neil Allen, and that was sort of the, the run of that squad. And they have this big French horn on a table in the middle of the room, and there's a big pile of money, and they're yelling at each other. He smokes. He doesn't smoke. I've never seen him run. I've seen him run every day. And I said, what, what is this? And Cranepool says, they're betting on whether you can get a sound out of this French horn because some of the most big, burly, muscular guys in the country, like Greg Luzinski, he was in here last week. He, he couldn't get a peep out of it. You know what? Bad lungs, smokes. You, say, you said you don't smoke. I said, I, I don't smoke. He said, well, and then sometimes a little pipsqueak, like, you know, Bud Harrelson can, can blast a tune on this. So anyway, it's just a crazy thing. They're big kids at heart. They bet on anything. So just take a deep breath and give it all you have and blast at it. So if you know anything about a French horn, it has these big – hoops that look you right in the eye. Well, the thing is packed with talcum powder and I give it everything I have and bang, my entire, all you can see is my eyes blinking and talcum powder all over. And that entire team was on the ground writhing around because apparently nobody had fallen for it quite as badly as I did, including my father who was hiding in a locker. He was hysterical. I thought he was going to have to get hospitalized. He was laughing so hard. So that was uh, quite a tri- quite a trick and uh, humiliating, and now it's turned into one of my favorite memories. So was Dad a jokester? Oh yeah, yeah he he loved uh, he loved to uh, pull pull your leg, and he was he was cool at that. So he had to cooperate with that, which apparently he happily did. <laughs> Growing up 
you know, as uh, being around all those Mets players, even though at the, that time they weren't necessarily the best of teams, but you, you were certainly, you know, a lifelong Mets fan. Now part of the Cubs whole aura. Do you find yourself rooting as hard for the Cubs as you did for the Mets at that time? Yeah, you know, I guess it's similar to teams getting teams having players traded and so forth. You 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 end up uh, becoming a little less uh, what's the word here? Uh, you know, pure, pure fanny and more a little professionally over time. And I, I've sort of been in a few different markets now, and you end up. The rooting thing, you know, you're never going to completely give it away, but it, it erodes in terms of the level of professionalism. And it must feel like it feels when a, teen, a kid that was growing up playing, uh, be rooting for the Yankees plays against them. It, you, you start to lose that perspective on it. Never completely. Um, I would say I'm more of a generic baseball fan. I'll watch any game anytime than of any one team. But in this particular case now for the last three years, you know, I've had to experience the very, very special connection that fans have with the Cubs. And I, I haven't seen anything like it. And you mentioned I've been in St. Louis and Milwaukee and certainly New York forever. Um, seen a lot of passionate fan bases. Nothing like this. This, this, is a, this is a whole different breed. Very cool. And when you think about that, you think about the New York teams he's been involved with. You think about the fact he was with the St. Louis Blues. They're, they're hockey crazy there. So we had John Davidson as our team president for the blues back in the time. And John, who recently left the Rangers and is now the new president of the blue jackets all over again, you know, beloved Rangers announcer, et cetera. Uh, so he was the team president and I was up in the box with him one night looking down at the game on the ice. And we had a player on the team named Keith Kachuk. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they used to call him Walt as in Walt Kachuk, even though not only aren't they related, it, the name isn't even spelled the same way, but he just gave up. He's okay, it's Walt. So they call him Walt. And uh, poor Walt, who became a good friend of mine, was run into the boards on this particular night. And he skated off kind of groggily and he was under his own power, but there was clearly going to be some kind of an issue. And John Davidson, JD, calls down to the trainer Ray Burrill, who's from Massapequa, happens to be a Long Island kid out in St. Louis, is the trainer. And JD says, how's Walt? Referring to Kachuk. And Ray says, well, JD, he's not too good. He's walking around back here, but he doesn't know where he is. And he thinks his name is Wayne. And JD says, he thinks his name is Wayne? Tell him his last name is Gretzky and get him back out on the ice. Maybe he'll get six goals before he remembers who he is. <laughs> so that's that's one of my favorite uh, stories from being around sports. I, that that one always gets a laugh, deservedly so. So, oh, that's a great one. And and JD and Sam Rosen as a team, uh, I got to tell Sam once after a, a Devils game. I said, you know, uh, you two had you know a special combination together. And he said, you know, people tell them that all the time that they were such a great broadcasting team together. <clears throat> and that really comes from somebody who didn't root for the Rangers you know, but appreciated how much they worked so well together. So many great stories. So um, fair, fair too, in covering a game, part of, of, of your magic. So congrats. Well, and they used to debate the, the merits of fighting on the ice, the two of them. They didn't see it the same way, which made for great television, you know, 
And uh, no, the two great guys who did a great job for a long time. It was fun to be a part of that. When you think about your career and the fact you went to Marist and you started off as an intern at a place that you became the head of, not many people do that. We hear that in movies, but you actually did it. You were an intern and became the head of MSG Network. Well, yeah, I, again, lucky on top of lucky on top of lucky. I did I did intern with MSG from Marist. Uh, I don't know if, if I would have considered myself out researching anybody when it came to selecting colleges, but what I did know about Marist is that they had an internship program at the Garden, and that's where I wanted to go. And so, you know, they took... They took advantage of interns uh, like a lot of companies did back then pretty strongly. They worked you to the bone, but you got a chance to learn everything. And uh, I was very blessed to, to have that opportunity. And uh, they used to have a phrase at the garden when I was still a young buck there. And they, I, hopefully they still use it, but describing a person that was working there and they say, well, how is he? Well, he's this, he's that, but he, he knows the building. That was the big line. That was the big street cred that you could get. And I guess I got considered to be someone that knew the building. And, uh, you know, Madison Square Garden, there's only one of those, right? Similar to Wrigley Field. I mean, it's it's the world's most famous arena for a reason. And uh, it was one heck of a place to learn anything there was to learn about sports television. So I was really lucky to get that opportunity and to grow, as you said, within the same company, is pretty rare and I'm, I'm very blessed to have had the opportunity. Just a couple more questions. You remember the first time you were at Wrigley? Yeah. My family and I took a, a vacation to Chicago just to do the whole Wrigley thing. And that would have been uh, early nineties. Mm. But as I said, I watched like I'm sure you did. I watched day games from Wrigley from when I was a kid. I mean, it was, it was always part of your baseball experience. Welcome to Cubs Classics. I'm Cole Wright. Over the next few hours, we're reliving one of the most memorable games in Cubs history. This one taking place on opening day. Uh, I'm pretty much, I think, pretty much like you. I, I love history. I love sports history, too. And we had Doug Glanville, one of your hosts of your Marquee Sports Network. The class is in session with Doug Glanville, his podcast on the Marquee Sports Network. If history you know, we, we see in the Yes Network, they go back and do a lot of shows about the, the you know, the Yankees past. Yeah. Have you been thinking about all the different Cubs type of programs that you want to, to build that builds on Ernie Banks and builds on Ferguson Jenkins and all that? You have so much to work with and the fans themselves. What are you most proud of that you've developed a program for the Marquee Sports Network or that's in the works that you'd like to tell us about? Well, I appreciate that opportunity. Yeah, we, when we first started this thing, I told people, this is, the Cubs have just as much history as the Yankees do, by the way. It's not the same kind of history, but it's just as long. And the stories are just as uh, relevant and profound, maybe even more so because there's more, there's more, there's more, there's more suffering. There's more drama. The Yankee story is kind of boring, to be honest with you. And we produced the Yankees for 15 years at MSG. They just win. That, that's fun, but I don't know how much, you know, intrigue there is. Cubs have intrigue. So we, we commissioned the Major League Baseball Network to, to do a number of documentaries for us. They did a, uh, a great one on the Ernie Banks, the life of Ernie Banks last year, which is 
going to win awards, how good it is. Uh, we commissioned another one on Fergie Jenkins, someone else you mentioned. Um, we had one done by Cubs Productions on, quote, the Ryan Sandberg game, which is a famous game in Chicago. The Cubs win 23 to 22, and he hits two homers and drives in eight runs. Crazy. Um, so we are very cognizant of the history of the Cubs. We have a show which was, which was really inspired by something MLB Network does, which is the, you know, the list shows. It was really bad for my insomnia to throw on MLB Network at two in the morning and have them say, coming up, the 10 greatest left fielders of all time. And I was like, okay, I, I'm not going to bed now because if Ted Williams isn't number one. And so we did that here for Chicago. We've had, I think we've had about 15 of these shows now, the top 10 third baseman in Cubs history. That's an hour long special. Uh, it's called Cubs Countdown. People love it because it's a mix of history and, you know, sparks debate, which you're always wanting to do. Um, and we have quite a few more coming. Uh, and you mentioned Doug Glanville. If I had to pick something we were proudest of, and there's so many things on Marquee that we're proud of, but Doug's show, Classes in Session, is one is certainly one of them because it's a cerebral, uh, you know, issue-driven show. It's not just the cookie-cutter highlights, X's and O's. It's, it's very thoughtful because Doug is very thoughtful and, uh, and the producer Malik Nadile. And it's, it's a show that we're trying to make sure people know about, which is you. It was great that he was on your, your podcast last week because he's, he's one of those special guys. You know, he's writing op-eds for the New York Times. There's not a lot of people that are doing that. And this guy was a major league baseball player and a, and a, and a good one. And so his perspective is unique by his on that alone. But he's one of the sharpest guys you'll meet. So we're proud of that show, among uh, quite a few other things we do. So, Well, that's what people say about Michael McCarthy, one of the sharpest people that you will ever meet. Uh, behind me is a little Seaver jersey there in wow. honor of, of, your, of your Mets. So final question. I know your dad's been gone a while now, but if dad could come back and go to one sporting event with his son, Michael, can be any time period, any era, any sport. What would it be? Uh, well, that's a great question. I appreciate that. Uh, we, we probably watched a couple of hundred Jets games together, and he loved boxing. I have a lot of great memories of watching boxing with him and having the debates about my guy versus his guy. I would say Tyson, and he, well, you never saw Rocky Marciano. He would tear him alive, you know, that, those kind of conversations. But it would have to be baseball. Uh, and I would say, you know, he was very fond of, Tom Seaver, the jersey you have hanging behind you, and Tom came to his funeral, and they had a strong, great relationship, which is one I cherish. Uh, but I, I would say I still watch baseball with him. I don't have to fantasize about doing it, and I'll give you a great example. He was the only guy I knew that would root for this particular play, uh, and he and I, I still do it when I'm watching certain games in certain situations, but he would root for a wild pitch. And he would say, this guy is due. Come on, throw it away. And uh, I say that. It's passed, passed it down to my kids. And it's a thing now, this throw it away. What is that? Don't worry about it. Just And when it happens, because it has happened in certain games when I'm like rooting for it to happen and a wild pitch and a run scores, I know I know what really happened. You know, it's it's uh, there's no doubt in my mind what's happened. So I still watch with him. And I appreciate you asking. Wow. That's special. And. And you get a sense of how important your dad was when you, you know, you just throw out the fact that Tom Seaver, you know, 
was at his his funeral, the connection that he had with the players, the connection you have with all the players of the networks that you've dealt with. You mentioned you were at Mike Bream's uh, Hall of Fame uh, induction. They care about you because they know you have that magic touch and continued success with the Marquee Sports Network because under your tutelage, uh, I think everybody knows it will just continue to grow and grow. And so we really appreciate your time here on Sports Jam. Doug, thanks very much for having me. Keep up the great work. It was really a pleasure and uh, look forward to your upcoming shows. Thanks very much. Sports Jam is a WBGO News production. You can check out all the podcasts by going to WBGO.org slash Sports Jam. Find Sports Jam with Doug Doyle on the NPR list of podcasts and on iTunes. Until our next Sports Jam session, I hope to see you at the game.